Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thanks for joining us today. You know, we're not exactly at the end of the pandemic, but we're at a point where companies are thinking about it, thinking about work life will look like when it does end. Now, some of those companies are looking forward to making changes from where they were a year ago, and some of them are looking forward to getting back to normal which is to say the old normal, not a new one. Because as much as we talk about things having changed over the past year, over the pandemic, it's not really clear that mindsets have changed. If you talk to people in management, many will say we need to get everyone back together in an office because what we've been doing is a stopgap and that's about it. And maybe that's a valid viewpoint or maybe we need to think a little differently. So I wanted to explore all of that today, and I have a great guest to do that. His name is Chris Norton. He's a company called Green Path Strategy. He's been involved with transitioning companies into remote work now for more than a decade. And he's heard all of the arguments over why remote work will not work, and he has a lot of thoughts about it. So it's a great conversation. Please stay with us. Well, we are 10 months into a pandemic and we've changed a lot of things in terms of companies, in terms of remote work, but have we really changed mindsets? Do people think differently than they did 10 months ago or are they just getting through this? Well, to talk more about this, I'm joined now by Chris Norton. He is the principal, the owner and consultant at Green Path Strategies. It's a company uh, that deals with remote work, performance-based organizational systems to support remote work. And Chris has done this for 10 years. He joins us now. Hi, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. You know what? I always like to start by asking people to tell me about their own path, their own career, because people don't, you know, start when they're five years old saying, I want to be a consultant dealing with remote work. How did you get here? Well, I was working in the financial service industry for a long time. And um, that knowledge-based type of uh, occupation, it lends itself to remote work or working from everywhere, as I like to say. So in one of the companies I was working for, uh, I identified that that company uh, could work remotely, and it was a crude it was a crude setup because it was in an infancy of uh, paperless environments. Um, but as I continued down that path, I, I noticed that a lot of the vendors could do it as well. So it was it was more to it was more seeing an opportunity that was available and not being taken advantage of. Um, so through that, I started to research what was necessary and discovered that actually the, the, what's necessary for f- successful remote work is also necessary for a, a good foundational organizational structure and, and result-based um, uh, process. So once establishing that, um, the rest sort of fell into place and it became easy to identify other organizations that, that uh, could use the same um, competitive advantage. Let's go back to this from 2010, I think. Yes. Okay. What was different in 2010? How did people think about this? Uh, uh, not that much different, actually. And and that's what I think we're going to get into. Um, there was a reluctance. There's a re- there's just a mindset that, that, that permeates the way that we were brought up, and, and it shows that, that working is only done a certain way. So the mindset shifted out of force because the pandemic has knocked down the doors of the offices and said, you're out of here. And companies who were reluctant to do it and leaders who were reluctant to do it had to either uh, adapt or, or perish. So 
uh, the mindset's still still similar. Um, what's really changed is the technology makes it so much easier. The phone systems make it so much easier. Phone systems were a problem. But paperless work workflow, the cloud has made things easier to store data from uh, to anywhere or ac access it from anywhere. So technology's crept up, but the technology existed. I still think the number one problem that exists is the, the perception of working from home. Um, and I'll talk to the differences about working from home and working remotely because there's a big difference. Um, but still, it's just the mindset. This is this is how we work. We go to work for nine to five, and um, regardless of the industry and regardless of the job type, this is the way it's supposed to be done. Okay. Well, you said remote work versus working from home. Does working from home conjure up what doing it at your kitchen table while the dog runs around? Or <laughs> I think the the problem with working from home is fundamentally is it, that's a that's a that's a fixed policy. So you have you're working from home. The problem with a fixed policy like that is it doesn't permit you to, to do to have options. So working remotely means you can work from anywhere, or I like to say from everywhere. So that means that includes a responsibility on the business to give some office access. So a lot of people perform better at, at an office. So what this is all about and what every organization should be about is maximizing performance. So telling people that don't want to work from home, you're working from home could inhibit their performance. So there's a couple of things that come with those policies. Um, in Canada, for example, and certain jurisdictions in the U.S., working from home creates puts a lot of onus on the employee employer to make sure that they have a proper desk, proper ergonomic uh, chairs, etc. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whereas working remote becomes an optional policy, and that alleviates a lot of the legal legalities and costs and exposure um, for the company to say you your office is here, but you're free to work somewhere else if you wish so there's legal nuances there's cost nuances there's um there's a lot of difference between the policies but the main thing is to make sure that you set up a policy that makes your helps your employee employees their their um their drive to perform but is there even the will to do this i mean people have had to do this over the last was it 10 months now 11 months but i think it's kind of like homeschooling people's kids may be home but they can't wait to get them back to school and i hear from some managers they feel more or less the same way yeah well it's interesting to understand what drives that question um i think that companies and managers and leadership that say no this is temporary for us they they, they tend to be looking at their own organizations as if they're an island and that's a problem for, for for their shareholders i would say that's a problem because if company a is saying we're going to work we're going to trim a million dollars off our overhead by not having a, a, a bay street office or a, a new york office um, they're going to have a, a distinct advantage over the company that says, no, we're going to drag our employees back into us to a situation where we're going to be spending a lot of capital. So it doesn't, it's, it's, they can choose to say this is inconvenient, but um, ultimately they're, they're going to be pushing themselves out of a competitive uh, arena if they insist on paying for space that their competitors aren't. <clears throat> well, mm. For sure. Uh, what I've also heard from people, though, and I agree with you on that, that there's a cost savings and rest with, but that you have an intangible benefit when you have your team together and you can't really replicate that when everybody's remote at home, wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Well, like that's up to the um, 
the managers to prove that. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the things about remote. And when I started the conversation by saying it's up to the organization to, to, to understand and measure performance, if there's evidence of that, um, by all means, then that's the way to go. It, performance is what's important. So it, does the team dynamic work better? Yes, maybe it does in an office place. But what is what is the outcome of that dynamic? Is there is there better productivity? Is there Are they more effective? Uh, they hit better timelines? Um, so those are the questions that need to be answered. And that's one thing I like about discussing remote work rather than work from home is it, it's flexible. It doesn't mean there's a one-size-fits-all if there are times when they need to, when people need to co- congregate to discuss um, the brainstorm or ho- however they want to do it, um, that's their prerogative. But I think overall, the benefits of remote work uh, outweigh going into the office every day. Okay. Well, can you give us an example of a company you've worked with that has transitioned to this successfully? Yes. Um, uh, I can. There's. Uh, I've specialized in the financial sector, so I can. I can. Uh, there was an insurance vendor that uh, that was able to do it. So, um, but the the most important thing was the mindset. First of all, understanding. And it's, it's almost as if we we'd be a better we'd be better off to change work to productivity. If we could just reimagine work as productivity, um, because that's what the knowledge base work worker does they provide they pr- provide productivity so if you're looking what you, you you need to focus on results and then you need to build in the assessment to get you from where you are to to achieving those results and doing it remotely but it's uh, it, the cornerstone of any any hire or any resource it doesn't matter which resource is to identify or anticipate a problem so the employer sets out to find out the problem, the market value of the problem, the value proposition, and it's okay, we're going to pay X dollars to solve this problem. So for an employee, you bring in their skills. You bring in a, a skilled employee. You say, here's all of the criteria by which we're employing you. Here's your, the employment contract, the IT contract, the uh, ethics code, et cetera. Then you move forward to what is it you, here's your job description. Here's, how, here's your expectations of the performance, and then here's how you're going to be measured. And um, here's how we're going to give you feedback on that measurement. And finally, here's how the repercussions of not fulfilling those, those performance expectations. A good organization does that anyway. If they're in the office or if they're not, it's just good, it's good governance. It's good um, communication. It's, good, uh, it's a healthy um, relationship with your employee. And once you establish that, that makes working from home becomes a more simple process because the employee knows what they're expected to do. They understand the position and the support mechanisms of the employer and the manager, and they understand what happens if they don't fulfill those. So when it comes down to how, how are they supported or what happens after that point, um, it's, up to, it's up to the managing the relationship and managing the skill of that person. So uh, going back to the insurance company, it was it was a fundamental rebuild because that's just not the way things are done in an office. They, you know, people get into a routine, you're hired. It's almost one of the most amazing things. I, I never understood why there would be this great hunt for skill and talent. And they bring them in and say, okay, the first thing is every, we're going to change everything. You can't even have your own screensaver. <laughs> so we want you specifically, but then we want a version of you that fits our model. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, that just develops that, that type of relationship, employee-employer relationship. Move, it changes from 
a need to solve a problem and hire a skill into this uh, relationship uh, with the way things that used to be. And uh, transitioning from that to a more results-based approach to management and employee performance was the first thing. Um, once you establish that, it's it's almost making sure that everyone understands that their their individual contribution to the organization becomes like a, a mini franchise. So everyone is they have their own they're they're independent, um, but they're responsible. So you 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 give them the tools, you support them as if they're a mini franchise, and help them with the major issues. But they're it's over to them to to do a little bit more problem solving than they may have in the past. Um, and you, once you have the uh, IT infrastructure, HRs on board, office services help support the people. That's that's really the the mechanisms to to a successful transition. Okay, so what else do you need to do when you've made this transition? You know, we're we're used to the idea of team building with remote work or not remote work. And I know you've written about this. You're not necessarily a fan of doing this. I would have thought with remote work, you want to do that every once in a while. Yeah, sorry, you just cut out for a moment there. Could you? Could you repeat that question? Sure. Uh, team building is something oh, okay. we hear a lot about, right? And even without remote work, companies yeah. like to do this to make everyone feel like they, they know each other. With remote work, is this more important or do you think it's not important? I know you've written about this too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've written about it. Um, I think it's very important, but um, I think it's important to do it with a purpose. So um, the, the things that I, I, I think everyone is, is different. So it's important to respect how people are different. Um, if, if team building is something that people enjoy as part of the organization, um, then by all means, they need to support that. Um, it's, it's, it's more about how team building is occurring now because it's different. And I, I still think as a leader or a manager or executive, it's, it's, it's vitally important to communicate richly. So nobody feels abandoned. Everyone always still feels like they're part of the team. Um, but there was a study, this is, a, it's an interesting thing because team building and the office are, 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 are discussed as, as one there, you know, if you're in the office, you're there for team building. There's a study out of UK that, that uh, determined that, um, office workers spent 13 hours a week on social media. So while they're in the office, they're not really in the office. They're still, they're still, you know, using their time to communicate outside of the office. So team building, I think it's important. It requires a, a, it requires a modernization. It's different than it was when, when we didn't have social media and we didn't have a lot of other things going on in our life. It's still important to be a part of a team and feel part of a team and contribute. But again, a lot of those contributions can be made through understanding what your job is and how your role fits into these, to the, um, to the ecosystem of the organization. And you know, having having a, having a role and having knowing who your your context peers are, is is also a way to be part of a team. So uh, I always, I, if I do a slideshow, I'll, I'll show somebody at an airport working by themselves or sleeping on an airplane going to L.A. or something overnight, um, as as a brand ambassador, and then a, a show a room full of people on in a desk around a desk and having lunch, working. And say, you know, which one represents team teamwork and team building? Well, invariably, everyone picks the people around the table. But being part of a team means a lot of different things. And I think that it's just remote work gives an opportunity for managers and leaders to expand the definition of, of what it means to be a team member and what it, what it means to contribute and um, how to better manage a team. 
And, you know, I, I've seen successful examples of this and I've seen unsuccessful. To me, unsuccessful is forcing everybody to meet some prescribed activity, which they may not like or whatever it is, baseball or bowling or some of the really horrible uh, examples of this. Uh, and I wonder if with remote work, because you won't have the interactions in the elevator or in the kitchen or, you know, just coming in in the morning, whether we'll see more of the forced fun. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know because I've done research on trying to dis- to determine what the value is of, the, of a holiday party, for example. Like, and I, I mean, I'm taking it overboard, I'm sure, but trying to understand what are the intangibles. And those those type of rituals developed in the 1950s and 1960s. So there was a there was a different time and a different period where we didn't have access to social media. Being being into an office was a big part of our lives, and being able to bring your families and your spouses to introduce to other people, you know that that meant more to to being able to bring in retained talent and have them be part of the family. Um, and it's certainly not the same nowadays. So if I, I would caution, I always caution against, you, if you see some photographs of a summer party or a holiday party, you, there's always people in the background, you know, they were wishing that they were having a root canal instead of being <laughs> subject to sitting there. So um, I think they have to, they have to choose that wisely. And, and the nice thing is with remote work, this is, this is one of the, the new frontiers of competitiveness and when you compete for resources. So now you're going to have company A is going to say, this is part of our culture. We want to have that and, and attract those type of people. And company people say, you know what? This is not really what we are all about. We're all about, you know, having an organization that's 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 fundamentally built on on our productivity productivity and service. And you know, we'll do some stuff to help build the team, but we're not into that as much. And it'll give the employee the employees uh, the candidates some choices. It's interesting. You bring up social media. We could have a whole conversation about whether it's appropriate at all to have your your manager looking at your birthday parties and vacations and everything. But we mm-hmm. seem to cross that line, right? People are very connected by this. Yeah. Well, I, I based on my fundamental theories and, and beliefs, I, I, I don't know that they should be if if managers or, or HR departments look at social media, that's their prerogative, and it's up to the employee and, and the and the relationship they have. What I object to more is the idea that spending time on so, social media has anything to do with the back to the fundamentals of hiring a skill and a talent. It has anything to do with their productivity. Either they're productive, they do what they're supposed to do, and their performance is on par with what's expected, or they don't. So searching through somebody else's you're like these are adults right they have their own lives and and just because they're part of an organization it doesn't mean they should be treated differently um the obligation isn't to to the person isn't owned by the organization their their skill and talent is hired by the organization so um you know that can be filled out again going back to the very building blocks of the relationship with the employer is there an ethics code that's going to be breached if they take position X or position Y on a political view or, or do something along those lines, well, that, that's, co- that's covered off. So, you know, trying to monitor people's habits and um, invade their pri- private social media if they're not invited to do so, it really doesn't make uh, it. And again, back to the, unless it's compromising the ethics of the organization, um, it doesn't make any sense. It just seems that uh, there's <laughs> managers and leaderships and executives are paid an awful lot of money uh, not to be watching fish in an aquarium. 
you know, they, they've, they've got to be doing other things that they're compensated to do. Let's get back to the mindset around remote work. You know, we're both in Ontario and COVID's pretty bad right now. People are being urged to stay home. They're ordered to stay home. I was surprised how many people had been back at the office before this because people who could have worked from home had been called back to work. And it doesn't seem like a great idea because this is maybe not going to guarantee more COVID, but it's really not going to help. But there was this, this hunger to get everybody back. Were you surprised by that? Yes, I was surprised. Um, I was surprised in the way that it, how it how it developed. But then again, if you look at the Canadian government, the federal government is the biggest employer in Canada, and they employ a quarter of a million people. And they have no, and I know people who work for them, and they have no intention of of making remote work full time. So, uh, or, or sorry, a permanent um, option for for their their staff. So until until there's some leadership movement like that like i think it's going to take something larger germany by by contrast germany has legislated that it's a it's a it's a right for you to work from home if if you're if it's possible to do so so i would have expected two things that that to to happen once when the when the shutdown started a lot of industry was still operating with knowledge-based workers within so for example, a factory that produces X materials, they still have departments like HR and accounting or finance that could have been let go working from home with adequate technology. If, if, the, if their technology was even you know, five years old, they, those type of workers could have been able to work from home. And, and I'm surprised that, first of all, they didn't, there wasn't a lot of documented initiative for those type of industries to take advantage of that. And uh, I mean, taking advantage of that gives them more office, gives them more manufacturing space, for example, just spot, a spot for more equipment. So they could have they could have taken that uh, opportunity. Moreover, getting people back, it, it's telling me that they haven't. Um, I, the first thing I thought was there must be a lot of long lease terms out there. So they've got a lot of organizations have these empty spaces and they're looking at them going, Jesus is, uh, we got to get people back in the office and, and, and they're doing so at, at, at significant peril to those staff. So I'm, I'm a little surprised that they would do that. I'm a little surprised that, um, that they haven't used the pandemic time to rethink their management strategies and come out and say, okay, here's, here's some options that we're looking at to try and keep you working from home. If that suits your needs. Well, there's a lot of questions around it. You pay people differently. And, you know, coming back to this, we haven't really changed the mindset yet. Netflix is the example I keep coming back to where you have the CEO saying, I want everyone back at work within hours of getting a jab in their arm. Like, we're, we can't. Yeah, do yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Facebook came out in June and said, make no mistake, people are coming back to the office. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are these are powerhouses of, of innovation and technology. And uh, they're just tethered to this 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 engineering measurement of, of war, like the engineering management systems um, saying the, the time value of money is me making sure that you're here from nine to five and not focusing on the productivity of the ind individual. And I've worked with people who could do their job in two days. So, and it, um, you know, managers, executives would say, that's not fair. Person A is doing their job in two days and we're paying them all this money. Well, a comparison, a comparable, it's employees doing it in five or six. So the person that it goes back to the, to the building blocks of the relationship, you had a problem, you decided that this was the value to solve that problem. So if someone can solve it in a day or a week or outsource themselves 
and you get the job done and they do it under the parameters of your contract and your ethics and your and your use of technology you know you've you've solved the problem for the value that you expected to solve the problem for so how do you change this mindset let's get back to this we're going to be out of the pandemic sometime in 2021 I hope so you have the choice of what to do if you're a company that's planning now what are the things to think about I think it starts with t- looking at what it is you do. Why do you exist? What is it you need to accomplish? And, and when again, solving problems is all about productivity. It's not about work. It's about productivity. So to change the mindset, it's not going to take someone like me going out and writing articles and writing books and talking to people about how important it is. It's going to take two companies doing different strategies, one embracing a strategy that lowers their overhead, reduces office costs, um, gives them access to uh, employees and resources from nationwide versus a 10 kilometer or 30 kilometer radius or 10 mile radius. And they're going to get the best and brightest workers. They're going to, they're going to drive the, the change because their, 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 their competitive advantage is going to be, the gap is going to widen against the companies that are, have their heels dug in and said, no, this is not for us. It's not really up to those companies. It's just a matter of time until they're going to be faced with a new version of what the pandemic did, which is your survival, your survival options are, have been reduced. You're either working from home or you're losing your employees to companies that do. I tend to think that the next step will be not to have employees so much as to have workers and to get the work done, maybe from somebody who does it in two days, maybe does it in five days. Do you agree or do you think we'll keep the worker model, the employee model? Um, uh, the, the, that's a great question because I'm surprised that hasn't happened either. There, over, early 2000s, there was a big movement to hire consultants exclusively, mm-hmm. almost at every level, and, and um, I, I'm not sure what happened to that. I can't, I can't um, reconcile why that was a bad idea for employers, other than it goes back to the managers. I think management and leadership need a, a real maturation period to get on board with the new way of thinking and looking at productivity. Um, as long as they can have that, that I call it an antiquated mindset or a, using antiquated techniques to the employee-employer relationship, um, this tre- it, that trend won't change. But I, I, I agree with you that that's the way it should be going. Um, you know, it's so much more convenient for organizations to have to onboard and offboard people as as you need them. You, you can have few employees, or, or you can have you know. Uh, fundamental employees that are there all the time but you know for a lot of the work it should be more transient in in the way that remote working may be pushing us in that direction well i think it's part of the same thing as not wanting them to be remote like you're used to this organizational structure which is as you say antiquated maybe but Mm -hmm. you have everybody sitting at their desks and being there all day and you know if it's not the most efficient way to get it done it's still the most comfortable way to get it done yeah it's as if the uh the office building is some magic portal that changes people into these, you know, special special magic workers or something. But um, no, I, I I think it'll change, and I think that it's it's like it's like uh, with any transition, it's just thawing levels of ice. You know, it's not it's not a it's it's not this big explosion. Um, it, it's certain awakenings have to happen in a, in a sequence of events, and and for people to recognize what what's happening and how they should be part of it. You talk to companies all the time. We're in the pandemic. We'll be out of the pandemic. What are their biggest concerns right now? 
uh, control. They're worried about how to control. They're, they're worried about time theft. They're worried about controlling their employees. They're worried about all the things that they worried about when someone was late for lunch uh, 15 months ago. Um, it, it's, it's, it's astonishing. A couple of things that are astonishing to me. One, that there's so few companies on board when uh, the remote work started or the pandemic came and forced them into it. Uh, but everyone became experts. I mean, HR departments I'd spoken to three or four months prior are, there's no way, it doesn't work for our organization. They're writing blogs on LinkedIn about how to make a successful transition. And, you know, uh, I, I always, I likened it to like, uh, see, when people see a golf swing on a, on TV, a professional golfer, and they go, geez, that looks easy. It must be easy because it looks so easy. So I think one of the things that's happened is remote work has become the, um, the excuse for some organizational dips in productivity or, or, or if they're not up to standards that they would expect, it's become sort of the, the out clause for why things aren't working. And it's a more convenient way to look at that and make an excuse about it because your question, what concerns them, it, it's always an outward looking question. It's, it's, or um, well, yeah, what, what is it? What is it about our staff that we're not getting the full value out of it? They don't, there's not a lot of internalization about how, the reluctance to change is um, part of the problem. And so I, I uh, uh, no, uh, yes, it, it has to change, but I think it, it's going to be, it's um, it's a process. And I, I think it's just going to be a, as a response to competitive uh, pressures from other organizations, other managers, the more, or the more organizations that listen to, to uh, podcasts and, and, and are, are engaged in trying to get better, the more pressure it's going to put on the other organizations that are um, defiant. Okay. Well, defiant. I like that. Holding on to the past, I guess. Chris, yeah, thanks so right. much for joining me today. Okay, thank you. Chris Norton is the principal owner at Green Path Strategy. Well, that's it for today. If you do want to know more about Chris and his work, please check out our show notes. You'll find more information and links there. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlesseco. If you did enjoy this conversation, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll really help people find us and help us continue the conversation around the future of work. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. <laughs>